0: good morning this is morning office hours I'm attorney Vince Davis and if you have questions to ask and you can't get through on the radio show on Saturdays at 7 p.m. you can ask your questions here I'm doing morning hours and I'm doing evening hours uh, for every day that uh, I can make it so the question today is Mr. Davis, should I plead no contest and take a deal? Well, the answer to that question depends on many, many factors. So let me explain something to you. Here in California, the juvenile dependency process is divided up into several modules. Uh, That's my term, modules and uh in module one you have the detention hearing you have the jurisdictional hearing and the dispositional hearing now way back in the old days the jurisdictional hearing and the dispositional hearing were done separately and it made sense in my mind to do them separately the reason is that in the jurisdictional hearing the court must decide whether there is by a preponderance of evidence that you are a risk to the child. Preponderance of evidence that you're a risk to the child. In the dispositional phase of the case, the court usually has to decide are you a substantial danger to the child? Danger, substantial danger by clearance. And is there clear and convincing evidence there's no less restrictive alternatives such that the child should be placed or not placed in foster care? That's a really hard burden. And if you are at the second or third hearing of your juvenile dependency case in California, um, your attorney, court-appointed or private, is going to discuss whether you should take a deal and plead no contest. Now, I'm not here to tell you that you should have a trial at every inch of the case. Sometimes you are, sometimes you're not, it's fact specific. So should you take that deal? Well, it it all depends. You know, at the jurisdictional phase, what they're trying to decide is whether the allegations in the 300 petition which you should have a copy of and what you should have read with your attorney, were there any of those allegations are true or are they all false? Now, typically, you know, I get this type of case. Uh, there was a domestic violence incident between mother and father such that the um, incident causes a risk of harm to the child. Now, you know, there's many pieces to that. First of all, Did the domestic violence incident happen as they described? You know, some people call arguing with a loud voice, domestic violence. Some people call knock down, drag out fight between mom and dad on the floor of the kitchen, domestic violence. And then there's, you know, everything in between. So first of all, you have to ask yourself, is what happened, does it rise to the level of domestic violence such that it causes a risk to the child? I'm involved in a case right now, where the only allegation is mom and dad orally argue with each other. They scream at each other. And um, the social worker is investigating whether that rises to the level of domestic violence, such that, you know, a court case should be started. So that's the jurisdictional phase, and the social worker only has to prove by a preponderance. That that's true. Now there's two parts: Did the event happen, and if it did happen, is it a cause a risk to the child? Now there's testimony that should be, you know, should happen on both of those prongs of the test: Did it happen, and does it cause a risk to the child? The second phase of the case is called the dispositional hearing, and as I just said. Can the social worker prove that even though this happened, right now today, not three months ago, but right now today, are you a substantial danger, not danger, are you a substantial danger by clear and convincing evidence to the safety of this child and by clear and convincing evidence, are there no less restrictive alternatives? In my mind, this is my mind, okay? a lot of people will disagree with you excuse me disagree with me it's really hard for the social worker to prove the dispositional hearing and i'll go into that in a few minutes so you're at the second or third hearing and your attorney court appointed or private says to you hey i think you should plead no contest come back in six months and get your child have you ever heard that well if you haven't and you have a juvenile dependency case you will hear that Now, should you take it to trial or take the deal and go six months? You know, those are personal preferences. There are case preferences that are fact specific. So you're gonna have to have that discussion with the attorney and hopefully this is an attorney that uh, you you trust and take his or her advice. Let me tell you what I usually do, okay? And this is a broad, you know, I'm painting a broad picture here. If my client tells me, hey, Mr. Davis, that never happened, then I go and I take it to a trial during the jurisdictional phase of the case. Many, many times, more often than not, if I lose that, I also have a contested disposition. And remember, I said it's really hard for a a social worker to prove a contested disposition, the findings. And so I have a contested disposition. In cases, sometimes I tell my client to plead no contest on the jurisdictional phase, but we're gonna have a trial on the dispositional phase because in my opinion, it's easier to get the child back. Now, here's the problem that happened um, over the decades. Jurisdictional, dispositional hearing they used to be separate, now they're together. And the judge usually hears evidence of the jurisdictional and dispositional phases together. Now, in my mind, that's that's a tough thing to do. But um, the courts in California said that's okay. You know, um, judges are smart people; they can they can do it. Uh, they won't be unnecessarily prejudiced about certain things, and they'll make the decisions for the jurisdiction and for the dispositional phase of the case. Okay. Um, Many times this is done. It's not done all the time. And if you don't want it to be done together, you can request the two hearings be separated or bifurcated. You do the jurisdictional and you roll right into the dispositional. It's all the judges decision. Um, I'm involved in the case in another county uh, up north. We're almost always, not always, but almost always, they do the jurisdictional and the dispositional um, hearings separately, like in the old days. They just keep them separate. It's cleaner. Now, I you know, do a lot of cases down here in Southern California and other parts of the state where they always do them together. And then I ha- you have judges that if you request to do them separately, they'll do them separately. And I've requested to do them separately. And I've had judges tell me, no, we're not going to do them separately. We're going to do them together. So, you have to take all of those things into consideration um, and the facts of the case and the evidence and the witnesses, and that includes you, you know, the mother and father are usually witnesses to these events, in um, making your decision on whether you should plead no contest. I almost always, not always, but I almost always tell people, never uh, give up your right to a disposition hearing. The reason is, that the disposition hearing is probably the most important hearing in the entire juvenile dependency process. People don't even realize that. I've had attorneys that don't realize that. I mean, I work with attorneys that don't realize that. Um, and I have to explain to them and sometimes explain to the court, look, even though the jurisdictional things are true, you know, they had a fight, knockdown down, drag out on the floor, you know, back in July. Today. Less than a year later, it's they're not a substantial danger to the child just because they had that one fight. Well, what if they had many fights? What if the physical altercations led to the police being called many times? You know, that's why I say it's very fact specific. So there are things that you can do between the detention of your child and the disposition hearing that can give you a head up on the social worker and the social worker's legal team. Let me tell you. So let's say, for example, they say um, there was that domestic violence incident and there were other incidents. Well, one of the things that both the parents can do if they want to get the children back is just get into counseling for domestic violence. Now, a lot of people tell me, oh, Mr. Davis, if I get into counseling, you know, um, that's really admitting that something happened. And I can see how people think that, but it's not true. You can get into counseling so that, even though you're not admitting it's true, so that if you have to have a contested disposition, you have a really good affirmative defense. Let me give you a more simple example. Three months ago, your children were taken away because the social worker alleges that you do drugs, all right? And then from the detention hearing to the disposition hearing, say it's 60 days, say it's 90 days, you test clean every week for the Department of Children and Family Services or CPS. So what that tells the judge is a couple of things. On the day of the disposition hearing, you're probably not a substantial danger to the child. Because if you really were a drug addict, you wouldn't be testing clean for 8 to 12 weeks, right? I mean come on, if you were a drug addict, you wouldn't be testing clean at all, but if you are able to test clean, you can show the judge that, hey look, you know um, regardless of what the whether the social worker says what happened you know eight twelve weeks ago, today I am testing clean have been testing clean, and I'm not no longer a danger in my opinion, most judges will say, okay, I'm going to give you the kids back but You got to keep testing clean for the next, you know, three, four, five, six months. And, you know, in my opinion, maybe not everyone, that's a, a low price to pay to get your babies back home. Because, you know, I was telling someone this yesterday, we're not trying to prove that, you know, this is right and just. We're trying to win. And there's a difference between proving you being right and you winning and a lot of people don't understand that. They think winning and being right is the same thing, and it's not. You're, In my humble opinion, you have to go to court, you have to win your case, and you have to get your babies back home. That's the bottom line. So should you plead no contest? Just as a general rule, I would say no. Should you plead no contest just to the jurisdiction? Maybe, maybe not. It depends on the facts and your evidence. Should you plead no contest and not have a trial on the dispositional phase of the case? In most cases, the answer is a resounding no. Now, I once did a case and it's been a couple of years ago and I pled my client no contest to the uh, allegations. They were amended and watered down, but you know they the county had a really good case against my client. I mean, everyone that comes to me isn't innocent, let's face it, all right? And it's my job, despite how they come to me, is to get the children back, and that's what I focus on. But I had a contested disposition hearing because now my guy had done so many services I mean, on paper, he looked like an angel, right? He did the drug testing, the drug counseling, the parenting class, the individual counseling, the co-parenting or co-counseling. I mean, he did everything. And the Department of Children and Family Services did not want to return the children to him. Now, the children were with the mother. They were, mother and father were married, but they wouldn't let the father move back home. So they wanted him to spend the next 6 months you know outside the family home. Now let's not even talk about the 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 effect that would have on on him and his wife. 6 months apart, come on, that's that's a tough one. But think about the effect that it would have on the children. You know, we do these cases as if, you know, children will be okay, no problem. They can, you know, they've grown up seven, eight years of their life with their dad, 10 years of their life. And if we just take them out of the home for six months or so, not going to be any negative impacts again, uh, you know, on the children. And in fact, there are, you know, I think sometimes we hate to admit that, but there are. So my guy and I, we did a contested disposition hearing. And we called witnesses. They called witnesses. The witnesses, the direct examination, the cross examination. Uh, we had to subpoena some witnesses to come to court, and you know, um, we did the trial. And at the end of the trial, the um, social worker's attorney argued that all they had to prove was a um, a lesser of a case, a preponderance, that there was a risk to the children. And in this particular case, since the kids were not in foster care, there is a lower standard if the children are placed with a parent. Well, I argued, of course, I summarized the case and I told the court, I said, even though something may have been happening and something may have been true 90 days ago, you know, we're not here to punish this guy. We're here to reunite his family. And luckily the court agreed with me um, and said, in rendering the decision the judge said you know look this guy has done everything you know the counseling the testing the substance abuse counseling the parenting the co-counseling with the um uh with the uh wife so um in that particular and by the way i did argue and present evidence that there were services that could be offered to the client to the father that would alleviate the need for him to be outside the family home. Remember, the social worker has to prove both things, you know, the risk or danger and there are no less restrictive alternatives. And I argued that um, there could be something called family preservation services. You know, and if you're in California and in most states, they have this, um, ask your social worker and ask your, well, maybe not your social worker, but ask your attorney about family preservation services. There are services that you can get, that would alleviate the need for having the children placed in foster care. And it's called Family Preservation Services. And a lot of people, a lot of counties, they don't wanna talk about this. You know, I I did a case up in Sonoma County, um, it seems like a year, year and a half ago. And I subpoenaed in the person most knowledgeable in the CPS office on um, services that could be implemented so that the child could be returned to my client. And I thought that the county council and the minors council who were against me would have talked to this person before she got on the witness stand. And as I was asking your question, it became obvious. they had never talked to this person before. And this person, a social worker, got on the stand and said, you know, very experienced social worker and says, well, there's this service, there's that service. We can give them these services, uh, this service to make sure that the family's kept together. (laughs) And the judge, um, you know, kind of was like, I've never heard of this. And the social worker's attorney and the minor's attorney, I think they were surprised as well. I don't think they even realize that these services existed. You know, the social worker who's working on the case may or may not know about these services. And I get the feeling sometimes that even if they know, they don't put it in the report for the judge to read. So in that case, we won as well, because there were so many services that could be offered to my client to alleviate the need for placement, you know, outside of his care. All right, that's it. That's it for today. Uh, for office hours, good morning to everyone. Have a great day. We'll see you uh, at the evening office hours, eight thirty p.m. Pacific time. Now, you're probably watching this video because you know you have questions. You may have a CPS case, or you know somebody that has a CPS case. Check out my website, fightchildprotectiveservices.com. There are a lot of good resources to get more information. Check out my YouTube channel, Um, just go to YouTube and at the search bar at YouTube, type in uh, Vincent W. Davis and my channel will come up with my different videos. Or, you know, if you wanna talk to me, um, have a consultation, give me a call at 888-888-6582, 888-888-6582 and, you know, I'll talk to you. Um, Just make an appointment for a phone conference. All right, so have a good day. We'll see you this evening in office hours.